You guys know how supporting local business is in our blood. We're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects, and they have been since 1972. Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products made of anything, pretty much rubber, if it's there, they make it, be it hoses, gaskets, specific molded rubber, contract manufacturing, and these days, specifically snow plow blades. They can cut to size and pre-slot any snow plow rubber you need. The blades can be any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications, and they're double-sided as well. So you get twice the use out of them. You just flip them over when one side wears down. These guys have also created a bunch of other awesome stuff as well, including materials that go in bulletproof vests and more. You can buy for yourself and buy bulk at a fantastic rate, so be sure to check them out today. You can call them at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. Uh. <sighs> Welcome in. That in. Leave it in? All right. Yeah, All right, I'll leave it in. It was disgusting, but you've got to leave it in. <laughs> it was just so perfect. We got done doing the read, and it was like, good beat, good beat, burp, good beat. Okay, <laughs> let's start the show. <laughs> Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You can visit any of their two locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and use their app to order ahead for $25 or more. You can also get 10% off when you use promo code FIRST10 on over a thousand different varieties of beer and wines and liquors from around the world. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are on the job for the Avs beat once again. Today's pod, we figured we'd take a little bit of a look around the Central Division. But first off, AJ, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm uh, trying to see if I'm allergic to this microphone still or not. Yeah, I, I hear a hint of a cough in there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's probably mental, right? Yeah, you just can't help yourself now. Yeah, it's it's like, uh, <clears throat> you know, those those dudes that it's like when you accidentally train yourself on certain things. And yep. then, and then, like your body just gets totally used to it. You're, you know, you've Pavloved yourself on this mic cuff. Yeah, it's now part of my circadian rhythm, <laughs> and I'm screwed. Well, the cough podcast coming at you live right yeah. now. So. Cough cast, always cough cast. There's there is no cough button because I'm just allergic to my mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, Rudo, I'm. I want to ask you, you know, the 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 Super Bowl halftime show seems to have ruffled feathers. And we didn't really talk about it, but the All-Star Game entertainment did the same. 
with Green Day daring to say an adult word during their performance. Yeah. Do you, do you care? No. Is this, I, is this why the fabric of society is getting ripped apart? I absolutely do not care. I Is that because you don't care about the children or because you think they can handle it? It's because I hate everybody, I guess. I don't know. Oh, no. my gosh. Um, it's because I've never, especially with the Green Day one, words are just words. I, I've never been a big proponent of, of being upset about certain words and, and things like that. Uh, and uh, this is a touchy subject, and this is a podcast that we like to keep relatively clean, so I won't go too deep into it. But the intent of the words is much more important than the actual words itself, in my opinion. Okay. I was just – I thought it was curious because, like, the All-Star game, it was Green Day said a bad word. And then at the Super Bowl, it was like they wore right, I, they wore clothes right. that were yeah. They so were for the clothes. Super Bowl, like growing up as a kid, we had Justin Timberlake totally intentionally, but not intentionally ripping off a bra, and like, that was just fine. So just robe Janet Jackson, yeah. and like <laughs> a whole generation of folks ended up okay, right. We did just fine, so I think that'll be okay for everybody. So, questionable, but, um, you know, not not something that they should be doing on purpose. I mean, all I'm saying is Adam Levine got to walk around with his shirt off on the, in the last Super Bowl, so. Uh, see, I didn't watch that halftime show, so I wouldn't know that. Well, um, you know what? The NFL could He's, solve this when, whole problem. doesn't he wander around without his shirt off, though? Like, that's fair. That's fair. Like, <laughs> but all I'm saying is, like, we didn't get these complaints last year. Okay. That's interesting context just because I didn't watch it last year. And the NFL could solve this whole problem by making the halftime show just sweet victory from SpongeBob, and the problem would be solved, and everyone would love it. So no, that's my vote. No. <laughs> everyone would not love it. I veto this idea immediately. Everyone would love it. I the guarantee only, you. The only acceptable SpongeBob in the history of the world is Larry Walker's shirt the day he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's it. All other SpongeBob hard pass. No, sweet victory is is the truth. You got to get behind it. Very disappointing when they didn't actually play it last year, but. All right. Well, I was just curious just because it was one of those things that people were talking about in the last few days. And I'm damn sure not about to talk about any of the other stuff that's taken place in the last few days. So, yeah, I don't think we'll be touching that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rudo, impeachment. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is taking yeah, a dark turn. <laughs> Everybody bails. <laughs> right. No one is listening to that podcast, no matter what we say. So. Let's get um, back to the sports, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to actually get into a little bit of the Central Division today because these are – there are three teams at the top who have, at the moment, separated themselves, and those are the ones I think I just wanted to focus on for right now. We are two months from the end of the season. Yep. Uh, pretty much to the day. One yeah. more day, I think, yeah. Yeah. The 6th of April. Uh, it's the 4th. Oh, is it the 4th? It is. Early this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a 1 p.m. game. So, holla. Doubly early. Got it. Yeah. So, 
three teams in kind of a sprint to basically for the privilege of not having to play each other in the first round. Right. <laughs> Again, assuming that these three teams stay there. Which there's a good chance they will. If there, There's one thing that uh, we've talked a lot about this year, like the Avs' inability to come back. Yep. They are the only team in the NHL that does not have a win when trailing by uh, when trailing going into the third period of a game, they are 0 11 and one. Yep. What I also think is interesting that they, is that they've played 51 games and they've only entered the third period trailing 12 times. That's some pretty good hockey in the first two periods. <laughs> it's the lowest number in the league um, by several games. But what I also thought interesting last night's win over Buffalo pushed the abs to 14 and 0 when they score five or more goals. So they've yeah. got 12 games entering a third period trailing, 14 games of scoring five or more goals. It's pretty it's kind of interesting. And then games in which they have gone into the third period with a lead, Colorado is at the top of the NHL tied with Washington for wins with 24 24 games won. Um, in which they entered the third period with the lead. They are 24-1-4. and four. Washington, for context, 24-2-3. So the Avs have blown one extra overtime game and one extra regulation game. Now, their competition, St. Louis, 21-0-5. So, like the Avs, have blown five games, uh, but all of theirs have been in overtime. Dallas, yep. 19, 1, and 2. So these well, are three teams that can close. But it's about getting that lead in the first place. Right. But the Avs, 51 games played and 29 of them, they have entered the third period with a lead. That is not quite 60%, but... Far more than half. When you and I talk, especially after losses, about why we're not concerned about this team making the postseason, why we believe this is a very good team, I think that these types of numbers are indicative uh, of what we're talking about. Yeah, I would say that's fair. It, It goes to show how important all of these teams show how important it is to get a lead in an NHL game and, and the ability to hang on to it. And I'm sure we'll get into the minutia of how each team does that, but it's just so much harder to play from behind mm-hmm. in the NHL every single night. And for the abs, especially when they get a lead and it becomes a multiple goal lead, that's when they get rolling. Mm-hmm. So, the the key for them a lot of the time in the regular season is getting out to that lead, I believe. But in the playoffs, a lot of the times that's harder to come by. You don't go into a playoff series expecting to put up a touchdown in every fourth game or something like that. They're often a lot tighter than that. So is that going to be a significant adjustment for the abs, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I think 
<clears throat> I think that um, these teams they're just they're such different teams. They really are. Um, but I wonder about the viability of how Dallas especially has gotten where they've gotten. Because St. Louis is very good at getting a lead and locking it down and keeping it. They are in the upper half in a number of games in which they've led after two um, points percentage, all those things, right? Like they're very good at locking down, but St. Louis also has a little bit of comeback in them. You know, they are 5-12-2 in games in which they've entered the, the third period trailing. Now, five yeah. wins is in the top 10. Um, but again, you're only talking about 19 of 54 games in which they've gone into the third period chasing a game. And I mean, even just five wins is enough to make teams feel like no lead is safe against that team. Right. It's it's the five wins and uh, the out of the the nineteen tries, a little uh, over twenty five percent, basically. Yeah, and that's you know if you if you do that in a if you do that in a series, if you can just get one win in that situation, you're okay. Like you're feeling pretty good. And the other thing about the Avs when. You when you do that percentage of games, it comes out to basically one game in a seven game series. They will enter the third period trailing if they stick at the same rate in the playoffs. Yeah. So the the lack of comeback is, I think, it's something you worry about. But the fact that it so rarely happens for them uh, is, I think, very intriguing. Very intriguing. And then you look at Dallas, which leads the NHL in wins when trailing after two. They're 18, 14, and one. That's, I mean, that's just absurd numbers to begin with. That's 33 games. And you look at 18, 14, and one. Above 500 it's, when trailing into the third. Yeah. And. The, sorry, eight, fourteen, and one. Okay, that's way more reasonable. Yeah, sorry, way more reasonable. Eight, yeah, fourteen, 18, and one. Still, that's still almost fifty percent of their games. They're trailing going into the third. Right, and this is what makes me curious about Dallas because they are low scoring, uh, low event. They have a low offensive ceiling. They've got star players who have big reputations, but not big production. Um, and they're they're they are where they are based on coming back a lot from behind. Yep. How viable is that? Do you think over an eighty-two game season and then into the postseason? Uh, honestly, I don't think it's viable at all. I, I'm surprised it's lasted as long as it has for them. And a big part of it, despite them trailing going into thirds, is their goaltending. 
their goaltending consistently never gives up that next goal for the game to get out of reach for them. And that's mm-hmm. how they're able to claw back into these so often. So I do think that's a big part of it. The actual being able to come back, they have two players with more than 30 points currently. And that's absurd, Lilo. They, there's no way with the production that they have across their lineup that it it's sustainable to need two goals in 20 minutes at the end of every single game. Yeah. They are also insanely consistent throughout the game on offense. Um, they have 43 goals in period one, 42 goals in period two, and 46 goals in period three. So Dallas is humming along as the same exact team beginning to end in a game. There are not a lot of lulls. That is very much not true for the Avalanche. Yeah. The Avs are a bit of a roller coaster. I, there's no doubt about that. It can get adventurous in every period, to be honest with you, depending on the game. But yeah. Colorado, they give up they've given up 49 in period one, 42 in period two, and 53 in period three. That 53 puts them dead center in the middle of the league. And there is some context there, right? Uh, they've given up more than a couple goals where they're leading six to two and a nothing goal goes in the net. Uh, more than anything, they've given up a ton of empty net goals. That as well. And that. So when you're, when you're coming from behind uh, in games of which they're losing, they have, they're giving the regularly giving up empty net goals. Right. That's the problem. So, I don't put yourself in a situation where you have to pull your goalie, I guess. Yeah, it turns out shooting into empty nets is easy. Unless you're the, well, even the Avs have a good amount this year, I guess. They started with a lot of them, so. Yeah, and just for to to, to round this out, St. Louis, um, 42 goals uh, given up in period one, 53 in period two, and 50 in period three. So, again, pretty consistent, but at their best in the first. Yep, that uh, it makes sense, right? They're most of their best games. We see the Abs put up two goals in the first period and and kind of run from there, just like happened against Buffalo the other night. Yeah the the big thing for the Abs is that they are good in period one. They lead the NHL with fifty nine goals in period one. They are good in period two. They lead the NHL in in period two goals at 75. And they are okay with 51 goals in the third period. This period's running a little bit long here, but just to kind of close out, is that how much of that is a product of consistently having a lead in third periods, though? It's 100% a factor. Right. Every team in the league plays slower, starts to lock it down in third periods in those situations. While true, if you look at all the teams in the, that have scoring that are leading the league in third period goals, at the very top, Washington, Boston, Nashville, Philly, Florida, Tampa Bay. Yeah. So that's, I guess, six, I guess we'll say six potential playoff teams. Two... I would say three elite teams with Tampa Bay, Boston, and Washington. Yeah, uh, two, I would agree. two very good teams in Philadelphia and Florida, and then Nashville, which is sort of searching for an identity. 
So it, it certainly could be a separator in getting those third period goals or I let's face it, oftentimes a third period goal is a lot more important in the overall outcome of the game than a first period goal is. That's just the reality. Yes. And I think one of the things that we are seeing as a common thread between tip top teams in the league is they get better as the games go on. And the abs buck that trend, whereas the abs are very good in periods one and two and period three, they are. It's the only period in which they are uh, a negative goal differential. So perhaps some cause for concern there to say the least, but we have to wrap up this first period here. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. I told you about, I have no idea how many beers by now. So let's just talk about their newest one the Mile High City Breck Beer, as they have, in collaboration with the Denver Nuggets, brought to you another sports-related beer here in Denver. They have, obviously, the Avalanche Amber Ale. They also had the United and Orange for the Broncos, and now the Mile High City Beer for the Nuggets. Who knows? Maybe even someday they'll get the Rockies on board. Anything is possible, but a bunch of awesome beers. They're huge in supporting the sports scene here in Denver. Can't recommend them enough. They're everywhere these days, be it in Colorado or all around the United States. And also check out the DNVR and Breckenridge Brewery event calendar on our website. We have a new watch party scheduled for this Saturday for the Nuggets. They will be playing in Come hang out. Come drink some Breck Brews. Come watch. I don't even know what the Nuggets lineup is going to look like for that game. So who knows what you'll be watching? Should yeah. be. <laughs> no kidding, right? Yep. Like no, no. They've got their seven guys in the game tonight. Yep. And then who knows what's going to happen? So you could be getting a look at some brand new Nuggets at that watch party. Highly recommend you check it out. We will be back in a second. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Ruto and AJ. So we've talked about how the Avs do struggle to score a bit in third periods, which is certainly cause for concern. But when you look at things on the whole, Dallas may be the most consistent team from period to period. They also score way, way less than both St. Louis and Colorado. They have only 142 goals for so far this season, while St. Louis has 174 and the Abs have 188. So in general, Dallas games are just significantly lower scoring on the whole. I attribute a lot of that to goaltending. Certainly there are some systems at play there as well, but when you're looking at the way Dallas is built, it doesn't feel like they're a shutdown team. They have what are supposed to be high powered offensive players with Tyler Sagan, Radilov, Ben on defense. They have guys like Klingberg and Haskinen, but the points just aren't there for them right now. And I don't know how they fix that problem. Uh, It's some of it's got to be the way they play. I, I'm certain that that's some of it, but when you have that many high-powered offensive guys and none of them are even close to a point per game, there's something else going on there, too. 
Yeah, uh, Tyler Sagan having the problems he's having uh, is interesting. Shooting below 6%, and this is a career almost 11% shooter before this year. So, So you know that, like, hey, some of this isn't real. Yeah. But you also know that, like, like what's Rupe Hintz shooting, for example? Yeah, sure. There, there's always guys that are shooting the roof off the room. With Hintz has 15 goals this year at 18% shooting, which is crazy. But it doesn't change the fact that Dallas just doesn't score very much, period. And, yeah, they just I mean, don't, man. But they also they give up so little at the same time. Yeah, they're... They have 142 goals for. They're a positive goal differential with only 136 goals against. So it's it's just a very different breed of hockey, I would say. When you're comparing to the Blues and the Avs, the the pace of the game is not quite as high. Yeah. So you have to yeah. take it. They they do well in close games as well. And this is also this is where St. Louis separates between both Colorado and Dallas. Yeah, is that they are outstanding in one goal games. They win their one goals for sure. So, uh, like if you look at St. Louis uh, this year, for example, uh, they do not have a single regulation loss this year in which they've lost by one. And there's a little bit of empty netterness going on there, but still. I mean, like, they lost in Colorado where they have scored an empty netter with, like, 0.2 seconds left right. or something. So, like, exactly. But um, regardless, uh, they are third in the NHL in one goal game win percentage at 63.6. And they are uh, 14-0-8. Because they lose a ton of overtime games. Yeah, they, they yeah, we play talked a ton of that. overtime games. Right. They have a knack for getting games to overtime. Yeah, a very good thing in the regular season. Not as good in the playoffs. It's a little tougher. It's a little tougher. Yeah. But when uh, you look at one goal game percent or one goal game uh, success rate, St. Louis is very good. Dallas is in the middle of the league. At 54.2, they've got 13 wins in that situation and six losses and five overtime losses. Okay. And then you have the Avs. Yeah. Then you have the Avs. In which they have five whole one, one goal wins. Five of them. Yeah, that's not many. And they only have three losses and six six overtime losses. So sure. overtime hurts them a lot there, just like it does these other teams. But only having five five games with the one goal. Now that puts them in company with Ottawa, Toronto, and Detroit. It sure. does, but mechanically, the way you get there is very different. Obviously, yes. Um, because this win percentage is like the same for like Detroit. If you look at their two goal game win percentage, 
or you know going even higher three or more you know it's right you know um for for detroit for example just because one i love to dunk on them and two this is a hilarious stat uh their three goal game win percentage is 0.042 wow so that is incredible <laughs> wow uh, I, that's a, that's almost impressive i hope they're bad for my whole life <laughs> i just well, it's already too late for that but the rest of your life maybe i just i just love it cuz they've only got they've only got one win and 23 losses i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't uh i got distracted but if you look at like colorado that's that's where colorado stomps yeah the 14 wins when they score five or more so yeah it's pretty rare that you have a one goal game that is six to five or something like that so yeah they're able to put the hurt on when they're going they do such a good job um when they get multi-goal leads they just go and i think that's a legitimate concern when you talk about postseason hockey there will be games when they get to the postseason like if the abs are like a a, if if they're hosting game one they're going to be a real problem that's going to be a problem for anybody coming to into denver yeah because the abs play with so much emotion and they feed off of the energy of the crowd and the moment so much that uh, while they have become a more mature team over the last couple of years, that's still something that they, they lean hard into the crowd and the electric atmosphere and all of that. Like they just get up for it so much that they can, they can drop three on you in nine minutes and be like, all right, now things have settled down a little bit. Well, how are you going to play? And the abs are just like settled down. No, 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 no. And that's they just, not how this goes. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to keep pounding you into the dirt. Exactly. And then it's seven to one, and you're just like, huh. So that's that's where I think that's where the abs are very dangerous. Is that of these three central teams, they're the one that is always a threat to blow you out. The abs are all gas, no brakes. <laughs> Shout out to the greatest YouTube channel of all time. <laughs> it's pretty quality, but in comparison, you have the stars who go the speed limit the whole time down the highway, right? The stars, they peg it to the speed limit. The stars are the, the dude that plays Grand Theft Auto and stops at the stoplights. Right, exactly. That's exactly who the stars are this year. Yep. The Avs, they see the the jump and they go for it full speed. They don't even care. And sometimes they land an insane trick on the other end. And sometimes they blow up. Those crazy gifts of like the the trailer flipping over twice while it's in the air and then landing. Yeah. Uh, and then just keeps on going down the road. That's the Avs. Track mania track that's just hold forward, basically. Yeah, exactly. The Avs are excite bike. <laughs> if they were a video game, they would be Excite Bike. Oh, that's quality. <laughs> <laughs> but then, what would the Blues be? That's that's where I'm getting to here. I don't know what exactly what the Blues would be. I feel like they would be like Animal Crossing. Oh, quality, but painful. But like not everyone's speed. It's like. 
that yeah i i can see this i can see this sometimes playing them feels like you're paying off your house loan which you didn't have a choice in racking up in accruing because you just got dropped into town and this (laughs) raccoon kidnaps you and is like here's your house pay me bills (laughs) <laughs> you owe me money yeah and you're just like what that's kind of what it feels like to to play the blues especially if they get a one goal lead on you and they just turn they they play that counter-attacking style it just it feels like paying taxes it kind of does all the time death taxes and the blues grinding you into mush basically so that that's that's a bit rough, but you know what? Yeah. If you gave me a motorcycle, excite bike style to ride around the Animal Crossing town, I would have a good time with that. You know what? Maybe that'll be in the new game coming out on March twentieth for the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> it Edith, will not be in the new game. I guarantee you yeah. that much. Well, yeah, but I'm hey, excited. We're getting an island with a tent. Yeah, you can dig up more fossils like Jay Bowmeister, dude. <laughs> ice cold my friend <laughs> super well played but ice cold it's just the truth it's just the truth mm. like Kadri was spitting truth to the sabers the other night that was so funny because like it was like is this rude or is this just like he's like you suck and your team sucks and it's like as far as chirps go it's like it's it's not that big of a deal it's not a crazy chirp, but it like hurts that much more because it's just a fact. <laughs> that yeah, it's it's one of those ones where you're just like, oh, too real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that hits deep, man. Yeah, but and uh, to be fair, to be he's fair, he's saying that to the players, not the fans. So yeah, just because the fans need all the love they can get. True. But. Shout out, Dwayne. Again, he needs every shout out he can get. Dude, I'm telling you, I just, I, I just want someone to give Dwayne a hug. <laughs> All right, well, we will take our second period break here and hopefully talk a little bit more about St. Louis on the other end of this one. But if you haven't heard yet, we at DNVR are now covering Colorado's professional rugby team, the Colorado Raptors. Reporter Colton Strickler is taking you inside the locker room with the DNVR Raptors podcast, and you can find his written Raptors content right on our site with the rest of our coverage. Of course, you can also join the amazing team community on the DNVR Raptors Twitter account to get a daily look at what Colorado rugby is all about. These guys have an opportunity to be really great this year, and we're excited to take you on the journey. If you didn't know, the Raptors play at Infinity Park in Glendale, just east of Cherry Creek, and beyond checking out our coverage, you really have to go down there and see a game. I know DNVR is planning a a little in-person watch party of our own at some point this season, so we can all sit there and be the nerds that don't know anything about what's going on. But you can do it for cheap, as kids are getting in for just 5 bucks and adults for as low as $20 when you buy Colorado Rapids t- Colorado Raptors tickets at coloradoraptors.com. Go figure. Search for the DNVR Raptors podcast after our show and give Colorado Rugby a shot. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. We're talking the general outlook of the central we've talked a lot about the Avs trade deadline we will do more of that on friday but for today 
I wanted to take a look at the St. Louis Blues and what they're doing, specifically surrounding the Vladimir Tarasenko situation, which they had talked about some setbacks with Tarasenko, and now it sounds like there's a real possibility that he may be out for the entire regular season for the Blues, and there's been a lot of things flying around saying they're likely to target a top six forward as well, not too unlike the Avs. The Blues have a bit more of a consistent core. They have David Perron having a career year at 53 points, but then they have a handful of guys in that 40-point range, Braden Shen, Jaden Swartz, on the back end, Alex Petrangelo. So maybe a little bit more consistency than what we've seen out of some of the Avs second-liner types. But at the same time, they don't have that superstar point producer like a Nathan McKinnon. So... AJ, how does the trade deadline fit for the Blues? Are they going to be kind of going directly head-to-head with the Avs on some of these possible targets? I think so. Um, We know that they feel this is their window. Uh, They have consistently made big-time win-now moves. Um, They have not drafted particularly well. They've traded some of their first-round guys away. Um, Clint Costin sucks, so it's like he's... It's it's kind of a wonder, you know, is is he even going to be part of this thing? Yeah. Um, they <clears throat> they are definitely a team that you would say you'd have to consider involved with the Chris Kreider situation and would be an ideal partner for the Rangers because they're out West. So if Kreider re-signs with the team that they trade him to, then the Rangers don't have to worry about him coming back and haunting them for any number of years. But what what do the Blues really have to give up? It's There's not much. Yeah. Uh, their prospect pool is pretty shallow, but they have uh, their first round picks for the next couple of years. They have a second rounder this year, but not next year. They have an extra fifth rounder from Carolina, but they don't have sixth or seventh round picks this year and no seventh round pick next year. So they're already missing four of their own picks over the next two years, uh, although three of those are sixth and seventh rounders, so it's not such a big deal. But it is meaningful when you talk about this: uh, how much draft capital do you really want to give up? But Doug Armstrong knows, hey, they're coming off a Stanley Cup win. Um, Their youngest regular forward is Robert Thomas at 20 years old. He's going to be untouchable for them because they absolutely positively need him in every facet uh, and moving forward. But this is is a core group of forwards um, that are all either in their late 20s or early 30s. And same thing with uh, their defense. So outside of Vince Dunn, who's the only young buck there, uh, they are committed to this group. They are locked in with this group. Right. The vast majority of those guys are signed at least through 2021 and some significantly longer than that. Yeah. About half their roster um, is already like locked in at real money, not ELC money. Yeah. There's they have including both goaltenders for the next two seasons. 
they have five forwards yeah. making five million dollars or more. Both of their goaltenders are making over four million, mm-hmm. and they have two defensemen locked up longer term over four million as well. And that's with Alex Petrangelo, a pending UFA, and you expect he will get a nine or ten million dollar extension at some point. Yeah, if he's not getting it from the Blues, he'll get it somewhere else. Put it that way. I tell you what, if that guy hits the market, that's a hard conversation. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, that's the type of player that you might have to find room for, and that gets very tough for someone like the Avs. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that would be. Um, I'm. I'm not of the opinion that that's a realistic option, but I said that about Joe Pavelski and San Jose made a bunch of really weird decisions and he ended up on the market. So who knows, right? Anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about uh, the, the blues have significantly more um, wiggle room than well, San Jose did. Sure. And you know, they did the thing and turns out when a franchise wins a cup, players are usually a lot more willing to come back. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I say they have flexibility, and I'm actually looking at their cap space, and they don't. But, eh, I, it's so easy to make room if you want to. Right, but like they've got $7 million uh, to play with right now, and it's like, okay, where do you find that money? Uh, obviously, the cap will go up a couple of million dollars, so that's planned for it to be more like $10 million, but they would have to find money somewhere else, and so going out and getting a guy like Kreider... Uh, they would have to send money the other direction. That's that's where you, you have to wonder is would New York be willing to take on a Tyler Bozak or an Alexander Steen type of contract? Right. I doubt Steen um, as much just because he's been there forever. He also has a no trade clause. And if you go from if you're on a Stanley Cup contending team and you're you say yes to go to a rebuilding team, you're a psycho. <laughs> And that that that's another thing that I think really complicates the situation for the Blues at the deadline is that Steen, Schwartz, Bozak, and Perron all have trade protection up front, and Petrangelo, Falk, Bowmeister, Gunnarsson all have trade protection on the back end. You give Carl Gunnarsson a modified no trade clause. That's pretty rough. So. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of potholes to try and work around. You can only trade so many of these guys. Yeah. And I mean, man, I'm just looking at them. You have Vince Dunn, who Mm -hmm. I think listeners to the pod will know both AJ and I are not Vince Dunn fans in general. Right. Although I have to give him credit. He's much better than I, than I've given him credit for as much as I don't personally like watching him play. He is a significantly better NHL player than I've ever given him credit for, which burns me up to say, but that's life. So you have him as as a young part of the decor, and yeah. then you have Alex Petrangelo, which is the core of this decor for the future. Everybody else, I guess you have Falk, who's a little bit younger, but has not lived up to the hype, really. And yeah, then you have- I mean, Falk and Pareko are like, if Petrangelo leaves, like it's like Falk, Pareko. Or like your future of that day. Yeah, but then you have a ton of holes left. As Bo Meester is 36 and at mm-hmm. the end of his contract, Petrangelo is 30. So even if he does get a big contract, he's starting to have that age question. Same with Bortuzzo. Gunnarsson is 33. And where's the replacements? We talked about this. The 
the cupboards are pretty bare for this program as far as the next wave of ELCs. So mm-hmm. what they're looking to do may well be a pretty all-in move at this deadline. Yeah, they have not um, drafted particularly well, and they've gotten out of some of those decisions in big deals. Yep. Uh, Tage Thompson was a bad pick the second it was made. I LOL'd when it happened, and uh, he ended up in the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Uh, Vince Dunn was their top pick in 2015. That's gone well for them in the second round. Robbie Fabry in 2014 is in Detroit now after all those injuries. Uh, Robert Thomas was a good pick in 2017, but Clem Costin has not worked out. Dominic Bach was involved in the Justin Falk trade. They didn't have a first rounder last year. I won't talk about their second rounder just for your sake. My heart. (laughs) Yeah, we'll just skip right over it. But the the thing is, is that they they have been aggressive with their first rounders and the ones that they've kept. uh, Robert Thomas is the only one that's turned into anything. Right. It's just one first rounder turning into something is great, but it's just not enough. You need the reloads. You need, okay, the Avs had Miko Rantanen. Okay, the Avs had Tyson Jost. Without getting into that conversation, he's an NHL player. They have Bowers coming. That's a first round pick, even if they didn't draft him. They have mm-hmm. Cout coming. They have that next wave that the Blues are lacking. Right. They've got Byram. They've got Newhook. Like exactly. they've got guys on the they've got guys on the verge and guys on the horizon. Yep. And that's what makes it. They've got guys. St. Louis doesn't even have a sample Ranta. Right. They're not even banking on high skill guys that are boomer bust types. Like they don't have they don't have like a a, a mid round pick that's like really breaking out like. Jordan Cairo was incredible at the end of his junior career. He's been very productive in the AHL. He's been a point-per-game guy in the AHL and has not translated in any way to the NHL. Yep. It's just been it's just been tough for him. Yeah. Cairo has been he has been a very classic smaller player who rips up every league but the NHL because he can't get top 6 minutes and he can't play a bottom 6 role. Yep. And that puts them in no man's land. And they they're stuck with their system right now. They've got some nice young players, um, you know, he who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> they've also got, you know, like uh, Scott Perunovich is a guy who I really like. He's extremely productive at Minnesota Duluth, but he is still probably a year away from the NHL. And like a depth guy like that's if they traded Vince Dunn Perunovich is a guy that you might see be able to slide into that that job in time but that's it like you're talking about like a a a down the road like depth type of replacement that and that leaves you with a lot of patching to do in free agency and that's where their cap limitations really start to come into play right they are they are in that position where they have to be extremely smart about every dollar spent and they are paying for some mistakes that they made. Um, yep. You know, Tyler Bozak, the three year, $5 million deal. I think that one really hurts them right now. And like he gave them a solid year last year and he was huge for them in the, in the playoff run, but not being able to unload him over the summer. He's given them 25 points this year. It's fine. They need to, they, they're going to have like nine guys who give them 20 plus points this season. And that's great. But for $5 million, 
Not getting value there at all. Right. JT Comfer's doing the same thing for a million and a half less for the end. Right. And like David Perron has been a huge steal for them. He's a point per game player at four million dollars. Yep. You know, Ryan O'Reilly is a seven and a half million dollar two way guy. He's got forty five points right now. So the question of could he could he replace you know replicate the seventy point career year he had last year? So far, he's on pace to fall just a little bit short of that. But he was unbelievable in after the first round in the postseason last year. And given his two-way excellence, it's hard not to feel like he's worth $7.5 million. That he's easily, he's, he's living up to his salary obligation, definitely. But some of these other guys that they're paying, you know, Alexander Steen is at just under $6 million. Like, he's got 15 points this year. He had 27 last year. That's a buyout candidate if one ever existed. But he's also been with St. Louis since 2009. Are they really going to do that to him? I don't know. But that's, that's the tough questions have to be answered for St. Louis now, basically. It's time to pay the piper, basically. Yeah. And there are like, there are guys that they, you know, that they've, they're going to have to find. They have so many of these like middle of the road contracts. They don't have like a high end guy, but their talent is in their depth, right? They're missing the high end guy. They they don't have like a super breakthrough point per game superstar type of talent, but they kill you with depth, but they pay for that depth. As yep. you mentioned, they have five guys, six guys making more than $4 million in their forward core, which forces them to get by on defense because they uh, or I'm sorry, it forces them to get by in their bottom six. And they've done an amazing job of finding young role players. They have killed it in that area. If the abs want to copy the blues in anything, it's that area getting the Sammy play, getting uh, finding a role for Robert Thomas, getting the Ivan Barbashevs and Zach Sanford's uh, the Oscar Sunquists, getting role players out of your system that are legit NHL players and can contribute meaningful minutes and not just be like, Oh, here's an 11 point guy. And all of that is not including the seven and a half million that Vlad Tarasenko is making because it's been on LTIR this season. And he just had an NTC kick in this year as well. Yeah. So uh, the blues are absolutely cup contenders this year. Definitely. Probably for the next two years. But hard questions are going to come at them very, very quickly. Yeah. So it should be very, very interesting what decisions they make. And it starts with this deadline for them. Do they want to go for Chris Kreider? Do they want to give up more future assets of basically what they have left to go all in here? The other the other question that they've got to answer is what is up with Jordan Bennington? Yeah. We've, we've touched on this a little bit. But getting into the goalie split conversation again, October, 918 save percentage, November, 934 save percentage, December, 904, January, 866, February in two whole games, 898. So is is the hot streak finally over for he did he sell his soul for 12 months? Right. One year of unbelievable play. Yeah. And if because if if they have to go back to Jake Allen. You have no idea how that goes. His career has been 
all over the place. Like we all like laugh, like oh Jake Allen, <laughs> but like his career has been all over the place. And Jake Allen, I mean Jake Allen right now is a nine twenty five save percentage, uh, has a, a, a really high quality start percentage of almost like seventy, and has been an exceptional backup for them that has really kept them afloat. Uh, when when Bennington hasn't been in there, he's done a very good job for them. But if if he has to take over, if you don't have confidence in your goalie going into the postseason, and if they have to switch goalies halfway through, boy, it, it's going to make you wonder how. I just don't see how they could have confidence in Allen going into the playoffs, even if he's playing well. He's established as a goaltender now that it can all go south at the drop of a hat. It's just too yeah. volatile. Yeah, and it's really just that he had the one year in sixteen seventeen yeah. where he won a playoff series against Minnesota, and he had a nine thirty five save percentage in eleven games, and he was unbelievable. Every other playoff run that he has had, uh, in which he actually played multiple games, I'm not including his one game that he the the four shots that he faced in the playoffs last year, but. His other two playoff runs, a 904 in six games and an 897 in five games. And like that's kind of Jake Allen's career. Yep. Is that he's got these brief flashes of brilliance and a whole lot of mediocrity. And that's I think a story to watch. I trust Ben Bishop way more than I do Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen. So it's kind of funny how the Blues and the Avs are built in two very, very different ways. But as we get into the home stretch here, both teams are looking for a top six forward. Both teams have some question marks where, with how their goalies have played over the past couple of months. Maybe they're not so different. That's yeah. all I got, AJ, unless you have some final thoughts here. Yeah, uh, it would be really interesting if their goaltending kind of falls apart in the second half of the season. Yeah. Both Colorado and St. Louis could be going into the summer looking around. I Yeah, that's a, that's a conversation for later in the year, no doubt. We'll yeah. have to take a hard look at at what the central means, the goaltenders out there and, and everything else as well, as we always do. But for now, that is going to do it for us on this one. As always, thank you for listening and we will be back again tomorrow. We've got to tell you about our friends over at Mile High Green Cross. These guys offer an experience that you won't forget. They have award-winning products. Head down to their store and sign up for their loyalty program as well. When you do that, you can get 20% off your entire purchase, and you can do that once every single month. They're hooking up the DNVR fam with 20% off your entire purchase, and that offer also works for people that are already part of their membership program. All you have to do is mention DNVR are and you are set to go. They give one-on-one -on -one attention every single time you pop in, and they have great prices from $99 prepack ounces to five V3 hash oil cartridges for a hundred bucks. They're fast, easy, and have a convenient location down on Ninth and Broadway. So be sure to check them out while they are there. Be sure to check them out. 
now. I don't know where this went. Mile High Green Cross, save 20% on your next purchase.